Well, Shabbat Shalom, friends. Good to have you here. Good to have our guest here tonight with us. Hopefully you found some notes there on the table. And I do hope everybody did have a, a great time. I had a great time at Sukkot. Did you have a great time at Sukkot? That was, uh, that was really awesome. I'm glad you were able to be there. And uh, some of our folks were able to come out for our studies. Um, so it was just a, a, a great time. We are now uh, tonight uh, starting our studies uh, in the book of Genesis, uh, or Bereshit, which means in the beginning. This particular study in this portion, that's where it gets his name. Uh, hopefully you have found the notes. If you, need, if you need some notes, you don't have them, raise your hand, we'll make sure you, you get one. Um, <clears throat> I've got the the outline for you, once again, out of this book, uh, this one is called Walk uh, Genesis. If uh, you want to go get that, you can get them at Amazon. Uh, but I just thought this would be kind of nice uh, for you to have this uh, outline. This covers ch- six chapters. <laughs> uh, there's a lot here. Um, I'm going to go ahead and tell you that the first sentence... In the first book of the Bible has had a plethora of books written just about the very first sentence. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Um, And it is packed with uh, a lot of meaning. There's there's a lot here. And this creation story and the story about the serpent... Satan himself, the fall of man, uh, everything that uh, goes on here. And, and this whole section leads up to the point where uh, there was evil continually on the, on the earth. God was upset about uh, his creation. He's decided he's basically going to wipe everything out, start all over. It says, but Noah found grace uh, in the eyes of God. Uh, it's, it's this... Beautiful story, really, when it seemed like everything was in total despair. And then there's that word, that little three-letter English word, but. It was so bad, but there's this Noah guy. And God decides that he's going to basically start over uh, and, and do it with him. This whole story is leading up to that point and how the fall happened and then all of this other stuff going on. You have the first murder, Cain and Abel, and all these other things that that go on. And then it builds up to that that climax. So if you'll look in the middle here of page one, uh, I'm just going to read this first uh, verse and then we'll pray together and ask our Heavenly Father, to bless our time. Amen? So it says, In the beginning, Elohim, and I've got this in the Scriptures version tonight, In the beginning, Elohim created the heavens and the earth. Let's pray with me. Heavenly Father, we pray that You would bless our time. Your Word would come to life for us. Lord, that we would be changed from the very core of our being and we would learn how to love You better we would be more respectful of you and your word, and we would let your word uh, become the very uh, force that guides our lives. 
bless us now with your presence and be with those that wanted to be here tonight and just couldn't. We pray all this in Yeshua's name. Amen. So it says that in the beginning, Elohim created the heavens and the earth. And then it says in verse 2, and the earth became, or the earth came to be formless and empty, or if you've got an ESV, it'll say formless and void. And darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of Elohim was moving over the face of the waters. Right above that, I've got a sentence here for you in all caps. It's this gap theory between verses 1 and 2. I don't know if you've ever heard this. Anybody ever hear of the gap theory? Uh, The reason is, and like I said, there have been, I'm guessing, thousands of books written on these first three chapters of the book of Genesis, and there have been massive number of books written just on these first couple of sentences. And here's the problem, if you will, Uh, for people that like to dive into the original language and into these words, and words mean things, amen? So words mean things, they're trying to figure some things out. So it says in verse 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And it says, and then the earth came to be or became formless and void or formless and empty. And so people are like, well, then that means something had to have happened. Now, I'm not going to spend a lot of our time dealing with this because I don't like to waste our time chasing rabbits that I quite honestly don't think are worth chasing. But in case you do read it or you hear about it, so here's what they'll say. So evidently, God created everything. And then there was this battle in heaven with Satan, Lucifer. Satan is really a title, meaning accuser. Uh, Lucifer. And it got so bad that God had to wipe everything out and start again, and that's how the earth became formless and void. And I go, this is just now sarcastic me. I go, really? Duh, but it's an introductory statement. <laughs> that's all. That's, he's saying, look, I made heaven and earth. Here's sort of how it happened. <laughs> Uh, I don't think it necessitates a gap theory that there's this big gap uh, of eons of time, maybe even billions and billions of years. Um, And they use that to, to explain, well, that's how come it's so many light years to this star and all this other kind of stuff. And I go, well, um, that's fascinating because, um, I'm real simple. I like to keep things simple. Uh, when Yeshua was here and his first miracle was he created what? Yeah, that, uh, some of y'all are still learning. So when I ask a question, it's okay to reply. So he created wine. How long does it usually take to create wine? I know it depends on how much you want to spend on the bottle, right? Uh, but it, you, 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 you don't want, it, it doesn't happen overnight, right? <clears throat> so when he created wine, he created it Mature. When he created Adam and Eve, I really don't think he created them as a baby. I believe he created him as a mature animal, a mature being. Like he created all the other animals, he created them to exist and survive and all that. So I don't even have a problem with God being able to create something that to us might look like billions of years. I'm not going to get into the science behind all that because I think a lot of people are too smart 
to understand what they're looking at. I'm serious. I think some people can get so smart they become dumb. It's really weird. And you're like, you know, you have a degree and this is kind of pretty simple. It's right in front of us. Anyway, so to try to explain all these things, they come up with this gap theory. I'm sitting there going, well, it's just an introductory statement. That's all it is. He's saying, look, at the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, before we dive off into this any deeper, if we're going to read our Bible, we need to read it in what? Okay. And to read it in context means we need to understand who is talking to whom, right? When was it written? Who was the intended audience? You do understand Adam and Eve wasn't around when this was written. It wasn't written for them. So who wrote it? Moses wrote it. After they come out of Egypt, God has birthed a nation to be his nation. And he says, now, this is what I want you to write for these people. This is how it all started. This is who I am. And he says this over and over and over again throughout the Torah. Look, I'm God. I created heaven and earth. He also says, I'm God. I'm the God that brought you up out of Egypt. I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's being very distinct and, and very explicit that I'm the unique one that did all of this. So he starts off right here saying, in the beginning, it was God that created the heavens and the earth. Not all these other gods, these fallen beings. I'm the one that did it. Okay? Then it gets into... <clears throat> Verse 2, where it says, And the earth came to be formless and empty. Darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was moving over the face of the waters. How do I read all of that? Well, I believe that when God created, He spoke. Uh, Yeshua was the creating agent. In the Scriptures, it says everything was created by Him, for Him, and through Him. Nothing came into being that He didn't create. Uh, I believe that Yeshua was there, and He was the one that was actually doing the speaking. Uh, and that when he created the earth, initially, when it, when it first happened, I believe it was this mass of stuff. Anybody here ever have a paint can that you left in your garage for a few years? And then you needed to patch something in the house, and you went out there and opened it, but you had to get a screwdriver to really pry it open because it had only been shut for, what, five, six years, and you had never touched it. And you already know where this story's going, don't you guys? You pop that thing open, and then what are you looking at? Clear, oily stuff on top, and then you get a skim of some other kind of junk underneath that. And then when you pull that loose, because I know what you're thinking, right? It's this little bitty spot. And how? Are, what are the odds I'm going to match this paint after 10 years? I just need one paintbrush full. That's all I need. God, can you please help me? And you get out there and you pull that goo, right? Because everything does what? It separates. The heavier stuff goes to the bottom. The lighter stuff comes up to that. The oily, really light stuff goes all the way up to the top. And I think that's what happened when he created it. It was all a meshed up gooey stuff. And then he separated it. That's what he's going to start describing. I made the waters go up above it. I made the waters down below, down below start to gather. I made the earth come up. I think that's all he's really describing. And I just put that in my 
you know, Roy City, Texas slang. I think that's what he's describing for us and how he went about doing all of this. So he says, uh, it was formless and it was empty and there was darkness over the face of the deep uh, and God's Spirit was moving over it. In other words, he was the one moving. He was the one causing all this stuff to happen. You get to verse 3 through 5. And Elohim said, let light come to be. I really like the way the Scriptures are laying this out. You're going to see something pretty fascinating here in a minute. Uh, and it says, and light came to be. And Elohim saw the light, that it was good. And Elohim separated the light from the darkness. And Elohim called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there came to be evening, and there came to be morning the first day. I highlighted the word there, the first day, for you and I. Because here's what I want you to start to know, if you don't know this already. In God's reckoning of time, the day starts at sundown, evening. Not midnight and not at sun up. It says, and it says this throughout here, uh, there was evening and then morning the first day. We'll see it again. There was evening and morning the second day. There was evening and morning the third day, so on and so forth. So <clears throat> the day starts at sundown. You following me? Um, we now are on a totally different calendar, and we, we because we're lazy technically, and people did all this stuff to be more, quote-unquote, efficient, if you will. And so the, for us, the day starts at midnight, you know, when most people are sleeping. So what difference does it make anyhow? Well, the big difference is it's the wrong calendar. It's not on God's schedule. And when you're not on God's schedule, you can really miss things. Once again, I, I really enjoyed Sukkot. I don't know if you realize this. I tried to bring this up during Sukkot, but did you know that Sukkot is always in the middle of the month, so it's always going to have a full moon. That's one of the things that's really cool about being on God's calendar. So when you look out and you see the full moon, when it's really full, uh, you know, okay, today's the 15th. Uh, and so Sukkot will always be during a full moon. Pretty cool. Um, it's almost like God goes, you know what, I'm going to ask you guys to come and celebrate once a year for this particular one. Um, and, you know, not always going to be street lights. Oh, there's not going to be any street lights in heaven. Hallelujah. Right? Uh, but he goes, I'm just going to make sure you have enough light to see. <laughs> I'm going to take care of you. Pretty cool. Pretty cool. Um, so <clears throat> it's, it's just on the wrong, uh, on the wrong calendar. You get, you get on the wrong schedule and you kind of miss things. So, folks, this is why, for instance, for us today is the Sabbath. Let's see. Sun's not officially down yet. Uh, it's the Sabbath. Um, I like doing it in the evening. I mean, my mornings now, because I was like, you know, I did it on Sunday mornings forever, and it was just so hectic. Can you relate to that? You should be a pastor doing it on Sunday mornings and then running trying to find a battery for your microphone and something doesn't work, and you're just... Sometimes really frantic because something doesn't work. So, and then to move not only to the Sabbath, but also in the evening, I'm telling you, you'd probably have to have a case of dynamite to get me to want to go early morning on the Sabbath and just change that Sunday morning hectic schedule to a Saturday Sabbath morning. I got some, I, I, got, a, I got an amen over here. Can I get another amen, somebody? You know, 
you know, be, uh, because it's just so much more relaxing, right? Um, but this is also why during the summer months, and some of y'all might not have known, because I mean, we like to fellowship, maybe go out to eat. I don't like to spend money on the Sabbath, so I will kind of clown around for a while, hang out and talk to somebody, wait for the sun to go down because then it's not the Sabbath anymore. That might be splitting hairs for somebody. Uh, but I just don't like to do that. And so, and of course, during the winter, it becomes easier and easier because the days are so much shorter, right? Um, but that's why, because this next day starts at sundown. That's my point. If, you, if that wasn't real clear in your head, that's why. Uh, and that's also why... Um, and it seems like during the fall and the winter, it becomes heightened uh, because the days are shorter. So on Friday evening at my house, I'm usually scurrying pretty fast, trying to get stuff done, whether it's cutting firewood or getting the firewood up to the house or whatever. And I'm out there running and then the sun's going down and I'm talking to God going, Yehovah, I'm, I'm hurrying, I'm hurrying, man. <laughs> I'm just, I just got to get this done, got to get this done. And I really do. Quite often I have Fiddler on the Roof in my head when I'm doing all that, you know, and she's like, you're going to be late for the Sabbath. He's like, I'm never late. He's going to say, you're going to be late. If you don't stop talking, I'm going to be late, you know, all that kind of stuff. And so those things go through my mind. But because of that, it helps make the Sabbath even more special for me. Just trying to get my stuff done before it's God's day to meet with him. If you don't understand these things, then some of that doesn't make sense. If it doesn't register and it, you're not trying to at least get that clock <clears throat> in your mindset, it kind of you know, doesn't make sense. You get to uh, verse 6 down at the bottom of the page, and it says, And Elohim said, Let the expanse come to be in the midst of the waters, and let, the se- let it separate the waters from the waters. And Elohim made the expanse and separated the waters which were under the expanse from the waters which were above the expanse. And so it came to be. Change the page. Verse 8. And Elohim called the expanse the heavens. And there came to be evening and there came to be morning the second day. I already just talked about that, how he was separating the waters. And you understand because it talks about in the scriptures about it, there was a mist I don't believe until after the flood we experienced there, there was rain on the earth like we have today. Uh, I believe that there was this, this canopy and God allowed, because it talks about the rain came down and the waters from beneath came up. Uh, and it, there was just this flood coming from all different directions. Uh, and then everything shifted. Go ahead and look at, with me at verse 9. It says, And Elohim said, Let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear, and so it came to be. And Elohim called the dry land earth, and the collection of the waters he called seas, and Elohim saw that it was good. And Elohim said, Let the earth bring forth grass, the plant that yields its seed, and the fruit tree that yields fruit according to its kind, whose seed it is of itself on the earth, and so it came to be. Just follow along with me again. In verse 13 it says, And there came to be evening, and there came to be morning the third day. So I'm trying to put that in here so that you can start to see that. Now, if you go ahead and go to verse 14, this is where things start to get really interesting. And so Elohim said, Let the lights come to be in the expanse of the heavens to separate day from night, and let them be for signs, appointed times, and for days and years. And let them be for lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth and it came to be so. So here's what you also need to understand is that God put 
the stars, the sun and the moon, the lights and the heavens and everything there to put light on the earth and to be there for signs and seasons. And it literally is appointed days. Just like the feasts and just like Sukkot is an appointed time to meet with God. It's always according to the moon. So it's always going to be at at a full moon. Same way with Passover and unleavened bread. Passover is on the 14th. Unleavened bread starts on the 15th. Passover is the evening right as the sun is setting. That's when you would eat the Passover meal on the Hebrew month of Nisan 14. Nisan 15 starts at sundown, and that would be a full moon. And Nisan 15 is always a Sabbath, not a weekly Sabbath. Nisan 15 is always an annual Sabbath. That's why they were in a hurry to get Jesus, Yeshua, in the tomb before that Sabbath because it was a high Sabbath. It wasn't a Saturday Sabbath. We've talked about that. Uh, So he put these things in the heavens there for signs and seasons. Sonia and I went... uh, this week, I forget now which day it was, Thursday, went to watch uh, the Trump Prophecy movie. We've got the book, you know, read the book, uh, wanted to go watch the movie, um, you know, ba- mainly to just to support the people that, that did all that. If you haven't read the book, you ought to read the book. It's a great book. Um, the point is, we were driving back home from Forney. Used to be little Forney. And we're driving in the 548, which used to be the back roads, from Forney, listen to this, from Forney to Roy City. We're driving from Forney. Can I say it any more, Hick? We're driving from Forney to Roy City. I look over and I said, Sonia, look at all that light pollution. I said, oh, this is horrible. I said, you know, when we first moved out here, we could see the stars. Loved it. We first moved out. It was so dark out there, we literally had to put the night lights in the hall so we wouldn't trip over stuff because it was, we're, we spent 27 years at Town East and 635. Literally, like a block away from there. Yeah. Um, and so when we came out here, it was like, wow, there's stars. Um, I'm looking forward to a time when we can actually just look at them because they're they're getting harder and harder to see again. But they're there for a reason. They're there for signs and seasons and to tell us when we're supposed to meet with our God. Um, I mean, how long has it been since we looked at them thinking about that? How long has it been as an adult that you just went out and just looked at the stars? like we used to do it as a kid. Did you ever do that as a kid? We we would do it a lot. Um, Of course, I'm mid-century. That's the new phrase now. You know, I'm I'm mid-century, so it's way back there, you know, during, you know, leave it to beaver days. And literally laying out in the street, one block long, but it was over there by Eastfield College, a hot top road, me and the other kids, laying down on the warm uh, hot top road, staring at the stars at night, literally popping 
tar bubbles with our toes and our parents would get mad at us when we'd come in we'd have tar on our feet. I remember laying in the grass just staring at the clouds during the day and thinking about what they, you know, what they would look like. Right? You remember those days? Seems like, well, maybe for me it was a lifetime ago. Uh, <clears throat> such a long time ago. But how long has it been since we just looked at the stars and the moon and all that and realized God put that up there for me to know that He's here to meet with Him. Does that maybe change a little bit our perspective of what we're looking at and why it's even there? Instead of, oh yeah, it's the moon. Anybody like me? Because you get too busy. You go, I hadn't thought about the moon in a long time, right? You know, And it makes it even harder when you can't really see it very well, right? Uh, and all the stars and everything. But that's why it's there, isn't it? I think it's beautiful. It's just a shame that we have to light up everything so much we can't even see the sky. So then we get to verse 26. Here we go. And Elohim said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over uh, all the earth and over all the creeping creatures that creep on the earth And Elohim created the man in his image. In the image of Elohim, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And Elohim blessed them. And Elohim said to them, Bear fruit and increase and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air uh, of the heavens and over all the creatures moving on the earth. Now, I want to, if you haven't been around long, Uh, around me and this teaching, I want you to notice something. He repeats this. When you see something repeated in close proximity in Scripture, that's God trying to say, you need to pay attention to this. This is important. Uh, So it starts off by saying, he says, look, let's make man in our image. We're going to make man in our likeness. And then it says in verse 27, and God created the man in his image In the image of Elohim, he created him, male and female, he created him. He says it three times in this one sentence. And instead of just saying, well, yeah, God created man in his image. He he literally goes, look, to his counsel, he says, let's make man in our image. Because Elohim is 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 not his name. We clear on that? Everybody here got my book? Okay, everybody, yes, no? Um, you, you need to read that and get into that because Elohim is not a name. It's a title. It's really a place of residence or uh, where they're from. Um, so Elohim is, and you're going to see this a lot, where there are so many that will say it's, it's his name. It's not his name. There's tons of work done on this to explain this word, and that's why it's always in the plural It's not talking about the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's talking about the plethora of beings that God created that live in this unseen realm. We clear on that? So that's why he's saying we're going to make man in our image. In other words, like us that dwell in this unseen realm. But then it changes in verse 27. It says, and Elohim, God, personally creates man in his image. So it changes from 
in our image, in our likeness to, and God created. And then this is where he's explicit saying it three times in one sentence. God created the man in his image, and then it's, re- then it's kind of reper- reversed. This is a pretty common Hebrew wordplay. So he says, he created man in his image, in the image of Elohim, he created him. So he's saying it one way, then he repeats it again the second way in reverse order. And then he says, and by the way, in male and female, I created them in my image. Three times. So here's what you need to understand is that you and I are a reflection or an imager of God. To be human is to be a reflection of God. I'm going to be very clear on this. To be human is to be a reflection of God. I don't care if you're a human six hours old or 600 years old. It's to be a reflection of the image of God. If to be human is based on our abilities, cognitive abilities, reasoning abilities, vocal abilities, which is what the abortionists all say, then that same logic can also be used for euthanasia later, which they're already advocating for, for those that are now no longer a viable human being. So if that is the case, then abortion is right. Does that make you sit back in your chair? It should. But if that is the logic and that's what it means to be human, based on your cognitive and uh, brain abilities and all, if that's what makes you human, then abortion, well, then it's just a potential life. And also, those that lose those abilities are now no longer human. Therefore, euthanasia then becomes legitimate. You see where that goes. And where that idiotic, liberal ideology will take you to the pit of hell. And I'll show you why. Because to be human is to be a reflection of God's image. Therefore, I'm going to say it again. Abortion is out of the pit of hell, and it is an attack against the very image of God and His name and, and, and His creation. Period. Um, and, and, I, and I hear people say stuff like, you know, <clears throat> Christians. Oh, my Uh, literally say that it's unchristian to fight against abortion. Um, It's amazing how you can lose your cognitive abilities when you start... (laughs) when you start down that liberal path. It's it's like, really? Wow. (laughs) Okay. But then I'll hear Christians say, uh, I don't think I have the moral right or I have the right to impose my moral absolutes on someone else. So I'm not going to fight against abortion. And I go, well, I'm going to tell you something. That's a flat out lie. You just lied. Because you do it every single day. 
Every single day you drive down the highway, you're doing it. Every single day you don't allow people to just come into your house and rape your family, you do it. I could go on and on and on. You do it every day verbally when they cut you off on the highway. And you rant and rave behind the wheel of the car, your moral absolutes. What it really means is you don't want to get involved because you don't want to take a stand. But if somebody were to break into your house and want to do horrible things to your wife and kids, I'll guarantee you you would storm the gates of hell to keep that from happening. So don't tell me that you don't think you have the right to impose your morals on somebody else. We do it every day when we say, you can't go out and kill people. Or there are repercussions from it. Um, so you need to understand that to be human means you're a reflection of God's image. Every human being walking on this earth has an imprint in them of the very divine nature of God. That's why Paul says we're not battling against flesh and blood. These other human beings are not our enemy. Our enemy is the one that's lying about what God said in His Word and then trying to get us to twist what He said. He's a liar from the very beginning, the father of lies. I'm not listening to him. I need to get at least one amen out of that. <laughs> I'm not going to listen to him. I'd rather refute his lies with the very word of God, amen? So <clears throat> he's trying to stress here that we are created in his image, his image, the one unique God, and then I want you to just notice something here. It says that he created us to do what in that passage? We, what was it we were supposed to do on this earth? We're supposed to rule over it. That means you're not a nobody. You are not a second thought. You and I were created to be, to be basically kings and queens on this earth. You see that? But I want you to see something else because this is pretty fascinating. The end of verse 28, it says, that, okay, it says we're to rule over the fish of the sea, birds of the heavens, and what? And over what? How many creatures? All creatures that are what? So all creatures that are moving on the earth, we were to be ruling them. That was our status. Some of you are mentally already going to chapter 3. When the serpent shows up, who was the ruler in that conversation? And who was the ruled? Exactly. Can somebody, I gave me goosebumps, can somebody say, uh-oh. <laughs> right? Kind of helps you understand this war that was that's going that's still going on. Um, so then in verse 29 is where he says, And Elohim said, See, I have given you every plant that yields seed, which is on the face of all the earth, and every tree whose fruit yields seed. To you it is for food, and to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to every creeping creature on the earth, 
in which there is life, every green plant is for food, and it came to be so. And Elohim saw uh, all that he had made, and see, it was very good. God says it was very good after he created man and created us in his image and created us to rule this earth. And there came to be evening and there came to be morning the sixth day. So did you notice here, he says, I've given you everything to eat. Everything that's growing, every plant, all the fruit, all the fruit, nuts, and everything else that's growing on the trees and the plants that are growing up out of the ground, that's there for you to eat. Everything that was growing on the earth was there. You were walking in a grocery store. Turn the page with me, page 3. It says, Thus the heavens and the earth were completed, and all their array. Can you imagine how beautiful that had to have been? I mean, I think it's really hard for us to wrap our brain around it. And it says, And on the seventh day Elohim completed his work which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had made. And Elohim blessed the seventh day and set it apart, <coughs> Because on it he rested from, <clears throat> excuse me, from all of his work, which Elohim in creating had made. It's like how many different times in different ways does he have to say he's the one doing the creating, right? And he says that he rested on the seventh day. He sanctified it uh, because he, he was finished with all of his creating. And then you get to verse 8. This is where things are starting to... I hope we're going to come together. Verse 8 of chapter 2, it says, And Yahovah, Elohim, this is where now you're seeing His name. It's not just saying God, Elohim, God, but by His specific name, Yahovah. It's there in the Hebrew for you. And Yahovah, Elohim, He planted a garden in Eden. He didn't have an angel do it. He did it. So God Himself plants a garden, the Garden of Eden. And there He put the man whom He formed. So God plants a garden in this place called Eden, and then He takes the man and He puts him in the garden. And then he says this, And out of the ground, Yahovah Elohim made every tree grow that is pleasant to the sight. So God said, and he plants this garden, he goes, and he's going to plant it and cause these trees and these things to grow that are pleasant to the sight. I got some vegetation on my property. It's not real pleasant to the sight. Can you just imagine walking in the Garden of Eden where everything you saw you just went, whoa. I mean, like, the colors and everything had to have just been unbelievable, right? And he says, pleasant to the sight and good for food. With the tree of life in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So he puts Adam in the garden and he tells him, says, all of this is there for you to eat and to look at, to take care of. You're going to be fruitful and multiply. There's the tree of life in the middle of the garden. There's also the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So here's another one of those questions. 
So where did the tree of the knowledge of good and evil come from? No one knows. Okay? Anybody that tells you they know, they're lying. <laughs> we know it was there, right? But number one, it doesn't say God planted it. All it says is that it was there. So there's a lot of theories, and a lot of people say, well, you see, God created sin. Well, some believe that the tree got there by Lucifer himself. But then they go, well, then why didn't God just get rid of it? Well, watch this, because I might run out of time. Um, God created us in his image to be like him and the other Elohim. But in the beginning, we didn't know the difference between good and evil. They did. But he wants us to live forever with him, being like him, but we also need to be pure. So we'll get to that. I'm going to try to elaborate on that a little bit more as we move along. <clears throat> um, but we need to, we need to move, move ahead. I'm going to run out of time because there's a lot here. So in verse 15, it says, And Elohim, uh, Yahovah Elohim took the man, put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to guard it. And Yahovah Elohim commanded the man, saying, Eat of every tree in the garden, but do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. And Yahovah Elohim said, It is not good for man to be alone. I'm going to make a helper for him as his counterpart. So I want you to notice here, that when this command was given, Eve hadn't been created yet. So he tells Adam, every tree of the garden, except for the knowledge, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, it's there for you to eat. But if you eat of it, you're going to die. Right? And then this is where he says, and Yahweh Elohim said, it's not good for man to be alone. I'm going to make a helper for him as his counterpart. Some of y'all, a lot of you here have heard me talk about this. But uh, if you've got ESV or New American Standard, I'll say uh, that he wanted to make a helper suited for him. Anybody here have ESV or a, a New American Standard that says something like that? It says, but God uh, wanted to make a helper suited for him. Ladies, you need to write this down. That term there, well, guys, but ladies especially, guys, you need to remember this. Um, that term there, a helper as his counterpart, uh, this is a military term. And I like the way the Scripture has it because it says as his counterpart. It's two words, ezer, E-Z-E-R. That's the helper, Ezer, E-Z-E-R. He's going to make him an Ezer. And then it's the one that's the term that says his counterpart or the ESV or New American Standard might say this helper that is suited to him is this Hebrew word called, pronounced Konegdo, K-N-E-G-D-O, K-N-E-G-D-O. So it's Ezer Konegdo. This connecto is this military term that literally means that she was to be there for him and against him at the same time. 
Eve's place in this was to be this powerful princess warrior to also help and make sure that Adam was going the direction that God said. If he was getting out of line or if danger was coming, she was there to warn him. At the same time, Adam's place was to make sure that Eve understood what God said. So you don't have one or the other just running and leading and running amok. You following that? So ladies, you were never, ever, ever meant to be a doormat or just this Susie housemaker or just do what he says. You cook the food, whatever. I'll go earn the money. Wrong. You see how far the fall got us from understanding who we are? Ladies, you were supposed to be like a princess warrior. A queen on earth helping the king rule the earth. Can I get an amen from some woman in here? Come on, girls. I think that's pretty cool and powerful, don't you? This is why I've been, you know, even when I was a youth minister and a pastor early on, and I would see guys, and I'm like, guys, if you're not listening to your wife, you're an idiot. Ladies, if you're not there trying to help your husband, you're an idiot. The world is trying to literally crucify him every day. And he needs to come home and find out that his wife is his best cheerleader in the world because he's putting a fake smile on his face going out there to get beat up again. The guys aren't going to tell you that's what's going through their head because we want to conquer our emotions. I'm just telling you. It's powerful. This is why you see guys that go through a midlife crisis. And the list goes on and on. And the pressure is incredible. But they're not going to tell you that because they're trying to be the leader of the household. They're trying to, you know, win the war, you know, and protect everybody and be everything when we can't because that's not the way God created us. Ladies, that's why you have this incredible knack for being multi-talented. You can do multifunctional all at the same time. You can go to a party You know who's talking to who. You know which kid goes with which parent. You know what they were wearing. Fifteen years later, we don't remember the party. We're like, what party are you talking about? You know, she had on the blue dress and the, I'm like, I don't even know who you're talking about. It's your cousin. I still don't know who you're talking about. We guys can be like that. And you're like, how do you, how do you remember this? Remember we went and you had such and such for dinner and I had, like, sweetheart, I don't even remember being there. Are you kidding me? You ladies can do that. Why? God's got that in your DNA. You were supposed to be this Ezra Konegdo. But then sin came along, folks, and that's why Satan went after her. She was like the doorkeeper. She was the one that was supposed to be wise and help make sure Adam was going in the right direction, but she hadn't received it. She had heard it. And so Lucifer goes, 
Now, did God say you can't eat from any tree in the garden? Actually, he said just the opposite. He said you can eat from any tree in the garden except this one. So Lucifer, um, yeah, I'm, I'm getting way ahead of myself. Let's go back to verse 22 because I want you to see something here. This becomes real important. You see, when we read the Bible, we have a, we have a tendency to really sanitize this thing. We really sanitize it uh, and just, you know, because if it gets too unsanitized, it's just too uncomfortable. Watch this. It says in verse 22, this is when God, he takes the rib and says, In the rib which Yehovah Elohim had taken out of the man, and he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man. You just imagine Adam, he's, he's seeing the first woman created perfect. I had the picture of a wedding when I'm reading this again and going, and God brings her to him. Isn't that beautiful? I'm going to make you an Ezra Konegdo. I needed you to understand that you're not, you're not supposed to be by yourself. And he brings this perfectly created woman to Adam. And in verse 23, it says, And the man said, This is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. This one is called woman because she was taken out of man. So man is ish. In Hebrew is the word ish, and woman is isha. Adam means man, also from the dirt. Adama is the dirt. Okay? So he came out of the dirt. That's why he's called a man. Adam comes from the Hebrew word for that. But then when you're talking about people, you would use the word ish and isha. The man wouldn't be the, uh, the uh, Adama, it would be the, the Ish, okay? And he goes, and this one is going to be called Isha because she came out of me. You following that? So he declares what she is. She's an Isha. Hold on to that, okay? Because it's going to become important. Now then we're going to get to chapter 3. So in chapter 3, it says, And the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which Yahovah Elohim had made. And he said to the woman, Is it true that Elohim has said, Do not eat of every tree in the garden? I want you to notice something here. I've got this here in the Scriptures and in the ESV because I want you to see something that's fascinating. Um. If you read this in the ESV, it says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? There's a difference in the ESV and the Scriptures, and it is important. In the ESV, it says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field. I want you to circle that word other in your notes. You just circle it. Reason why I want you to circle it is because in the Hebrew, that word other is not there. You see, because we have a hard time understanding this serpent thing. We talked about this at Sukkot. 
So, you know, this serpent, I mean, is it the devil or is it a snake or whatever? And a lot of people go, no, it's, a, it's just a literal snake. So, well, okay, but you have to understand something. I mean, um, it, it wasn't uh, a snake at the beginning, uh, and it is using this term serpent. We also know that it really is the devil, right? We know that it's Lucifer. Uh, we know that even from the New Testament, it says that he's the, that old serpent, that serpent of old, on and on. And we're going to see something in the curse where you go, well, we, we know it's not just an animal. And on top of that, we talked about this at Sukkot, Eve isn't scared. She's also not like, what are you doing talking to me? You're a snake. People talk, animals don't talk, unless you're Balaam's donkey. You know, animals just typically don't talk. And then people say, well, you know, animals back then, they did talk. I have read some weird stuff studying this, I'm telling you. Weird stuff. There are people that literally believe that Adam could have procreated by himself. Kid you not. I'm like, okay. I'm not sure where you're getting that. I don't see it in Scripture anywhere. That's pretty fancy. Um, and if that's the case, then why did Eve come along? I'm like, I have no idea what in the world you're even talking about. But there's people, I'm not talking about just any kind of weird way. I'm just, it's just out there. It's just, it's just so bizarre. So, but it says that the serpent was more crafty in, the, in this, in the Scripture's version, the first one, is more crafty than any beast of the field. It's saying that the serpent is more crafty than anything else that's created on the earth, except for Eve, really, except he's about to prove that he is. You and I are even told, and just because you're crafty, that doesn't mean that that's evil. We're supposed to be as uh, crafty or wise, you know, as a serpent and, in, and as as innocent as a dove. Uh, in other words, we're to discern the spirits. We're supposed to know what's going on, and we're supposed to uh, make sure that God's name is glorified. Amen? Uh, so just because he's crafty, that doesn't mean it's evil in and of itself, but he's going to use that craftiness, that sly tongue, to deceive Eve. And here's what I want, and this is why I wanted to bring this out, because no matter what he is, I believe that he is a, one of the cherubim. I believe it is none other than Satan and that he had this serpentine body. I'm not going to spend all night talking about that because it's not, it doesn't matter. We know that he's a serpent. We know that he's talking to Eve. We know that he's on the earth. And if he's on the earth and talking to Eve, then who's the ruler in this story? Eve is. Adam and Eve are. Okay. And, it, and he's being compared to any of the other beasts on the earth. And then he goes, is it truly true that you can't eat any of any tree in the garden? You go back up to verse 9 in that chapter. He says, this is here and it's all good for food. And he said, you can eat of any tree in the garden except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Turn the page to page 4. <clears throat> So then in verse 6 it says, And the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and it was pleasant to the eyes, and a, des and a tree desirable to make one wise. What's wrong with that? Aren't we supposed to seek wisdom? Doesn't it tell us that in Scripture, in the very Torah itself? We're to seek wisdom with all diligence, get her above all other things, be wise. Do you, do you see now that she's 
trying to extrapolate here. So if this will make me wise and help me understand good and evil, and I'll be like God, and God created us in His image, maybe I just don't understand something here. Do you see now where if you start adding to and taking away from just simply what God said, it can get you in trouble? That's immediately what she starts doing. She was deceived by what she saw was good in the tree. It was pleasant to the eyes. It was good for food. It could make you wise. Satan's like, he's, he, you're not going to really die. Uh, <clears throat> so she took of the fruit and ate, and she also gave it to her husband with her, and he ate. Maybe you didn't see that before. This is where I've said before, Adam was right there with her watching. Why would he be watching? Well, you know what? Maybe I did get it wrong. She's my Ezra. Let me see what happens. Do you really think that they were perfect? I mean, he's, he watched her do it. What a knucklehead. Everybody wants to say, you know, Eve started all this. You women, and that's why we don't like y'all, you see, because if it wasn't for y'all, there wouldn't be sin in the world. The dumber one in this whole thing is Adam. He's standing there watching. He had God bring her to him. You talk about a 10, she had to have been about a 20, right? On the 1 to 10 scale. I mean, she's the first created woman ever created by God himself. Right? And he's going to sit there and go, I don't know, she's over there talking to this serpent. Let's see how this works out. And then the serpent's telling him, you know, that's, God knows you're not going to really die. Is that what he really said? Adam doesn't pipe in and go, no, that is what he said. He watches her. She's saying this stuff. Then she goes and gets the food. He should have said, put that down. He didn't do it. She ate it. So if anybody in this story is a real blooming idiot, it's Adam. I got one person. Ladies, can you give me an amen? I mean, he's the knucklehead in this whole story. He watches this whole thing. And then watch this. If you haven't noticed this before, I mean, when I was studying this, I went, once again, Zach, I went, who put that in my Bible? I don't remember seeing that before. And I've read, have y'all read this story at least once or twice before? I highlighted it for you, just in case I missed it. Verse 7, Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made lawn coverings for themselves. Did you notice it didn't say that when Eve ate of the fruit, her eyes were opened? It didn't happen until he ate of the fruit. Then their eyes were opened. So watch this. Eve eats of the fruit. Adam doesn't see anything happen. She goes, hey, it's pretty good stuff. I guess she didn't say, I don't feel any tingly yet. I mean, nothing's happening. You know, ate the fruit. Don't think it was an apple. But okay, I ate the apple. I don't feel anything. I don't know. He said it would make us wise. Don't know what to expect. Then he eats the fruit. And that's when both of their eyes are opened. Because you see, you can't have one without the other. God created us male and female in His image. This was more than just eating fruit. It was something that they were doing and doing together. 
And it wasn't until after he ate the fruit that both of their eyes were opened and they realized that they were naked. Now then, watch this. Now we're going to get to the curse. This is where I think you have a problem if you're going to say that the serpent is just a snake. Yeah, isn't that cool? Because if he's just a regular snake, well, then this whole prophecy doesn't make any sense. Unless there's a whole lot more in this story than what we realize is really going on, and we really shouldn't just get too bogged down in it because if we needed to know more of the details, God would have told us. Right? Is that safe? Safe to say? So then in verse 14 is where so you know, God shows up and He goes, Adam, where are you? It's not that God didn't know where He was. He was really just saying, hey, you're supposed to be out here. Where are you at? What's going on? Why, why are you not at the door, so to speak? I know you're in there. What are you doing? Right? That's what he's really saying. So that's when he shows up. Adam, what happens? And what is, uh, God goes, what happened? And Adam goes, well, you know that woman you gave me. And then he goes to Eve. Eve, what'd you do? And she goes, well, you know that serpent. You know, that's, that's what he did. Then he goes to the serpent. What in the world are you doing? And then this is where we pick up here in verse 14. And so Yahweh Elohim said to the serpent, Because you have done this, you are more cursed than all the livestock, more than every beast of the field. On your belly you are to go and eat dust all the days of your life. And I put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall crush your head and you shall crush his heel. Now he's going to use this uh, terminology here talking about the Messiah specifically, but he says, listen, I'm going to put enmity, enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. So is he talking about a snake? I mean, is there an enmity between women and snake eggs? There's a lot more here than, than what we're giving it credit, I believe. We know he's talking about the devil, right? We know he's talking about Lucifer, and he's talking about Lucifer's seed. So what is Lucifer's seed that Yeshua is going to pretty much crush his head? The Antichrist that's coming. Okay? Uh, so <clears throat> here he's saying that I'm going to put this enmity between you and the woman and your seed and her seed. So now this is the first prophecy we have about the Messiah coming, Yeshua coming, and redeeming mankind. Now this is where I want you to see something, and this gets fascinating so that you can understand everything's not, real as, not really as sanitized as you think. So you get to verse 19. Now he's made his way to Adam, and he says, By the sweat of your face... You are to eat bread until you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and dust you return. Remember what Adam was supposed to be doing in the beginning? He's supposed to be walking in the garden and just eating. He wasn't supposed to till the soil for food. He was supposed to just take care of it and turn the rest of the earth into the Garden of Eden, and he could just walk around and pick whatever he wanted whenever he wanted to eat. God goes, well, you know what now you're going to do? Now you're going to work the dirt to eat. And not only that, because you came from the dirt, 
the dirt's going to resist you. Now thorns and thistles and weeds, you know, junk's going to grow up. And you're going to work by the sweat of your brow now to eat for the rest of your life. It's the very next sentence. So God just pronounced a curse on Adam, right? The, the next sentence you have is that, and the man called his wife, and here it is. It, this is pretty close in the Hebrew. It's Hava or Chava. Uh, in here, they've got the W because these people believe that that Vav is really a Wa. I've said that before, so you'll see the, either the V or the W, which is where you get the difference between the name Yahweh and Yahovah, that kind of stuff. I believe it's the Vav. Anyways, and it says, he called his name Hava. It's not Eve. Eve is the English translation of the word Hava. And it says, because she became the mother of all living. The next sentence is, in Yahovah Elohim made coats of skin for the man and his wife and dressed them. What did Adam name? Didn't he already give Eve a name? Isha. This is Isha. Because she was taken from me. You mean I'm getting kicked out of the garden because of you? Your name's now Hava. Did you know that in the Arabic and uh, one other Semitic language that there's a word that sounds a lot like Hava that means snake? You don't think Adam wasn't mad, upset, shamed, the list goes on and on? Didn't he at the very beginning try to pass the buck? Very beginning. Whoa, 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 whoa. You know that woman you gave me? Look what she did. We've been doing this since the beginning, people, trying to pass the buck instead of taking blame for our own junk. Eve does the same thing. Well, you know what, man? It was, it was that serpent. You know, he came over here and, man, he, he, he tricked me. All of us have been doing this. And so I just think it's fascinating that she already, he already called her Isha, and then sandwiched between God pronouncing a curse over him, kicking him out of the garden, now you're going to have to toil. You can't just go around here and just eat from these beautiful trees. It's going to reject you. It's going to work hard against you. You're getting kicked out. What? Hava. Now then, why would I even say all that? Who wrote Genesis? Huh? Moses? Moses wrote Genesis, wrote it for the Israelites that had been in Egypt for around 400 years. They're being birthed into a nation. And I believe that's why Moses had to say, I'm going to give you the definition of the name of this word. Adam called her Hava because she was the mother of all living. Why would he have to explain to them the name of the word or the meaning of the word if it's a normal Hebrew word and they're speaking Hebrew? Look, even among Jewish writings, they say that once this happened, Adam left and was gone for maybe 150 years. 
And that this is the other reason why she was so excited when they conceive, give birth to Abel. And she goes, I've got, with God's help, I've gotten another man. And why would she say that? Because her attention, all those feelings she was supposed to have towards her husband to care, nurture, watch over, and all of that is now going to get shifted to the son that she's going to raise because everything is now messed up. And it says, you're going to desire your husband, but he's going to resist you. The desiring isn't sexual. The desiring is to do what you were created to do. But he's going to resist you. You see where all this is coming from? So literally when you chase this stuff down, you find out that the source all these beings came from now resists them. Adam came from the dirt. Now the the dirt resists him. Eve came from Adam. Now Adam resists her. The serpent came from God. Now God is resisting her. Or him, I mean. You see that? It's absolutely fascinating. And then Lucifer says, he knows that when you do this, you're going to be like God. That was part of the, the statement that Lucifer said to Eve. Did you know that what he said was the truth? It was the truth. In verse 22 of chapter 3, look what Yahovah says. And Yahovah Elohim said, See, the man has become like one of us to know good and evil. That's exactly what Lucifer said. What he lied about was the fact that they would die. Then he says, Now lest he put out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. So when God kicked Adam out of the garden, it was grace and mercy. He didn't want us to live in eternity in a fallen state. So he put these two cherub angels that are nothing like what you've seen in the cartoons. These are like the big Navy SEAL angels. They're wielding these flaming swords in every single direction, day and night, 24-7, I believe, until the flood. 1,600 years later. keeping mankind from getting back into the garden. He says, lest he eat of the tree of life and live forever. You see, God didn't want us to live forever in a fallen state. God wanted us to live forever in a glorified state. You seeing that? But watch this. He wanted to create us in their image and in his image. How is all that going to happen when we could have a propensity to sin. I believe that God created everything, including a 6,000-year, a 7,000-year plan from a seven-day plan of creation. He's told us the end of the matter from the very beginning. He knew all this would happen. None of this caught him by surprise. That's why the tree was in there, and he didn't get rid of it. How did it get there? I don't know. My guess is that Lucifer put it there. That's my guess. Um, But God knowing that all this would happen and He had redemption in His mind from the very beginning, literally wanted us to be able to, like them, know good and evil, but then not do the evil. 
So now because we do know good and evil, in that sense, we are like the Elohim, right? Isn't that what God said? I didn't, I'm not dreaming this up. There's not any kind of weird hermeneutics. It's just what it says right here in the English. God said that we have become like them, knowing the difference between good and evil. So let's kick him out of the garden so that he doesn't live forever by eating of the tree of life. But on the other side, in heaven, if you will, the new earth, the new heaven, we're going to be given the right to do what? Eat of the tree of life. After we've been redeemed and regenerated. In other words, he's going to fix everything. And I don't believe it's so simple because we're simple-minded. Just so simple that this wasn't either supposed to happen or going to happen. I think God knew everything. He's like, this is the way it's going to work. This is what's going to happen. Do you think he was even surprised when Lucifer fell? Of course he knew that was going to happen. Do you think he was surprised when Lucifer attacked the very imagers of God. No, he wasn't surprised at anything. So <clears throat> this is coming full circle. So watch this. Once we're in heaven or on the new earth, under the new heavens, reigning and ruling with our God, we're going to know the difference between good and evil. But by the time that happens, after the whole tribulation period, after everything that we're even learning today, I'm telling you, None of us are going to want to go there again. Right? No way, no how. This is a lesson that we human beings are really going to learn. And on top of that, he's going to empower us where that will simply never, ever, ever happen. Isn't that cool? It's so much more than, oh, we were in the garden, we sinned, we messed up. God's just trying to get us back there. Well, he is trying to get us back in the garden, but look, he wanted to create us in his image and then gave us the power, watch this, to procreate in his image. You you following that? The angels can't do this. They tried. That's in Genesis 6. We're not going to have time today. That's in Genesis 6. You're going to have to read that. It's in your Bible. I know it's weird, but these angels came down and took women and had hybrids. That's why the flood came. To deal with Lucifer still trying to taint the DNA of humanity that is marked with the very image of God because he's attacking us and he's attacking God through us. That's what this war is all about. Um, so the really cool thing here is that God loves us so much and he created us in his image and he's got these great and powerful things that he wants us to be involved in and doing and we can literally start participating in it now but Satan's been telling you, you know, you're just a sinner saved by grace. All you need to do is just kind of get by. You know, all this other stuff, you know, don't, don't, you don't have to worry about that. And you know what? Actually, he really wasn't talking to me. He was talking to this snake. I could go on and on and on. Folks, it's much, much bigger than that. God loves us so much that he provided salvation for us from the very, very beginning. So that we could what? We could walk with God and not be afraid. And even know the difference between good and evil and and yet not do the evil. 
Isn't that cool? I think it's powerful. God loves you so much. Yeshua came to fix everything. But you need to understand, it's not like God didn't know it was going to get broke. I'm not preaching and teaching that God created evil. I do believe that God takes evil and good and causes it to work together for His plan. Because He knows what's in people and angels. And nothing catches Him by surprise. This story is so powerful. It is so packed. Like I said, there's been thousands of books written just on the first sentence. Yet we try to read things into that that simply aren't there, and we read over it, and we don't even realize. And we've, you know, you've been told, I don't know, we've been told forever, you know, women are the weaker vessel, and blah, 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 and you just need to sit down and, and be quiet. You know, don't talk in the, anybody ever be told, you know, that women shouldn't talk in the church? Heard that? It's, it's there. Uh, once again, it's Paul, and uh, people distort what he says and uh, because they don't understand what he's talking about. And he even says, well, this is because of the angels. We don't want to go there again. The watchers, what happened back there? We don't want to go there again. Um, I've got one more thing, and then I want to close. I got one. It's, on, it's on your back, the back page, because if you don't see this, I, I copied this chart because I wanted you to see something that's absolutely fascinating. Here you've got the genealogy, if you will, from Adam to Noah, or Noah is how it really is said. Um, and the third one up from the bottom is Methuselah, but it's, this is the correct way to really say that, but I'll, I'm going to say Methuselah. And here's what I want you to see. So Methuselah was born, a, and don't you just love it that some guys, some people are just list people? I am not. And they're like, well, I wonder exactly, if you calculate all this out, who would have been born on what year and all this? I'm like, no, somebody else do that. Um, no, I'm not doing that because Sonia loves that kind of stuff. She should have been an accountant. I, I'm like, no, I'm, I'm going to blow a gasket over that kind of stuff. It just it bogged me down. So somebody did this, and they've calculated out that Methuselah was born around the year 687. Okay. Go up to Adam. What year did Adam die? 930. So was Methuselah alive at the same time as Adam? Yes. Methuselah was, look at what year Methuselah died. 1656. What year was Noah born? 1056. So during Methuselah's life, he knew and would have seen Adam and knew and would have seen Noah from start to finish. Methuselah would have seen both ends, would have seen his great-great-grandson building the ark, and Methuselah dies the year of the flood. And he would have known Adam and he could have heard firsthand stories from Adam of being in the garden and could have watched the evil of his day and watched his great-grandson 
build the ark. Methuselah would have been able to see the end from the beginning. There is nothing, there is absolutely nothing in your Bible by accident. God didn't do anything by accident. Even who was born, when they were born, what they were named by accident. It all paints a picture of God loving us so much, having so much for us. And the devil is constantly telling you something different. He's even telling people constantly, well, you know, you're going to float around on a cloud in heaven and it's going to be cool and you can run around and talk to, you know, Paul and Peter and ask them what's, you know, what it was like and all this. Y'all should be figuring out that that's not the whole story, Right? Because he's going to give us a glorified physical body like his. And he's going to recreate a new heaven and a new earth. And we're going to live on this new earth with an inheritance and land. And we're going to turn that new earth into that paradise. The whole thing into the Garden of Eden. Walking with our God daily. That kind of changes things up a little bit, doesn't it? Because Hollywood says, oh, you're going to be a ghost. You can kind of go through the walls and scare people and all this other dumb stuff. You're like, you don't have a clue what you're talking about, do you? Um, You see, Satan is the father of lies, and he doesn't want you to understand who you are, who you belong to, what your name really is, and what God has in store for you. Because as soon as you figure that out, you become extremely dangerous. As soon as you figure out what God has called you to be, what He has put within you, what our calling is on this earth, and who Lucifer truly is, then you become, in the kingdom, extremely dangerous. You remember when the apostle... Uh, the, the seven sons of Siva story in the gospel accounts, and they go and try to cast these demons out of one man who is you know, filled with legion for we are many, and Hollywood can't come up with a different name, so they use it in all their scary movies. You remember that story? What you might not remember is what those demons said to those seven sons of Siva. Yeshua, we know. Paul, we've heard about. Who are you? And this one guy, demon-possessed, ends up beating up seven guys. A few of them run off naked because he literally pulls the clothes off of them. Yeshua we know, and there's a rumbling in hell about Paul. We don't know you. Get prepared. (laughs) And the fight was on. Folks, when you start to realize who you really are in God's kingdom, then there will be a rumble in hell about who you are. And I think there's a rumbling going on right now about people like us because people don't know how to deal with us when we say, look, all of the Torah 
still applies to our life. And all this, these lies about Jesus changing it is a lie out of the pit of hell. But we're not legalistic. What? No. And we're not trying to earn our salvation. What? Well, then I don't understand. Exactly. That's because you don't understand your Bible because Satan's been lying to you for so long. Oh, y'all part of that cult. Well, it's not a cult. It's actually following God according to what he said. But all this is a lie to keep you from understanding who you are so that you will be ineffective in the war. And if you hadn't figured it out over the last few weeks in this country, we're at war. And it's not political. And people see some of my comments on Facebook. And goes, what I'm talking about is not political. People can't grasp this. This is a spiritual war between light and darkness and people that want to continue to murder babies and those that don't and people that want to continue offering up those babies as sacrifices to fallen deities and that people are doing things to babies to try to open up portals to demons. And if you don't think that's not happening, you're, in, you're not reading the news. Folks, this is a war between darkness and light. And we're part of the light. And these kids are powerful warriors in God's kingdom. Man, the Holy Spirit is on you guys. Y'all do nothing but just bless me constantly. You guys have absolutely nothing to be afraid of. I'm telling you, I honestly believe that part of the 144,000 are going to be kids like these kids. And they're going to be telling us old adults, this is what you're going to do because that's what Yahovah said. And we're going to go, yes, sir. I'm telling you. But what's going on is this spiritual battle. And Satan doesn't want you to understand who you are and what God's called you to be. He wants you on the sideline. Yeshua came to put us back on the front line. That's why he said the gates of hell will not storm against my church and will not prevail. We're going to storm it. I'm getting all wrapped up now. I have to pull that. We're going to storm the gates of hell and, we don't, and it's not going to prevail against us. We're not on the defensive. We're supposed to be on the offensive. This is why it says, even if the devil shows up at your door, you stand in your faith, he has to flee from you. He can't handle who we are. It's not based on how strong you believe in, in a God that maybe might be able to do something through you. It's in you understanding who you are and standing firm on that faith going, now hold on a minute. You were running around in the garden, ruled by the rulers of this earth, us people. You were the head cherub. Now you're nothing. And I've been redeemed by the Son of God whom you murdered. You really messed up then, didn't you, buddy? Well, guess what? Now I'm not standing on my own merit. I'm not standing on my own physical or intellectual strength. I'm standing on what Yeshua did for me. And I know that God called me to be his reflection on this earth. And I'm to be a king and a prince on this earth. You don't belong here. You don't have any authority in my life. You need to bug off before I come punch you in the face. That's the attitude we should have. I'm serious. Instead of running around like beat up sheep. He called us to be king and queens on this earth. And ladies, you're supposed to be an Ezra Konegdo for crying out loud. No one told you that. 
Well, I wonder who was behind that. To keep us confused and watch this, to get us to fight each other and even fight each other in our home. So it can get you to fight each other in your home because you, you don't know who you really are, what your role really is. Then he can win that battle there and then he can destroy the home, then he can destroy the nation. And there you go. He doesn't want you to understand who you are. He wants you to think that you're weak and timid and a busybody. He wants your husband to think you're a busybody. <laughs> it's, it's Satan's tactics again. Do you see that? Man, but God loves you. I, don't, I want you to leave here tonight understanding that God loves you so much. And there's so much we need to be doing. And we need to walk out these doors here in just a few minutes. Man, I'm telling you with a smile on your face, your head held high, and knowing who you are and what God is, has already done for you, in you, and through you. And just imagine the greatness He has planned for you. It's not a maybe. It's a reality. You need to start claiming it now. That'll change the way you look at your life. It's, it's who you are. It's who you are. Live it. Be it. Claim it. Walk in it. Don't let the devil beat you down. Don't go there, okay?